Hello and welcome back to Oral Valley Catholic. Do you remember last week the scribe came up to Jesus and asked him what the greatest commandment was? And Jesus said, uh, love of God and love of neighbor. And then the scribe said, oh, that's true. It is love of God and love of neighbor. It's greater than any burnt offering. And so we're in Holy Week in the Gospel of Mark. When we talk about burnt offerings, we are talking about sacrifice. And in a Christian understanding, when we're talking about sacrifice, we're really pointing towards the cross. And what greater love has anyone but to lay down their life for a friend? And so St. Irenaeus, as you may know, was just named a doctor of the church. And he lived in the second half of the second century and is probably the first real theologian uh, that the church has ever had. St. Justin Martyr, who was roughly a contemporary, was a philosopher. But Irenaeus kind of invented theology. And when he looked at the gospel, and he was looking at it in the midst of a controversy that raged in, in uh, France and Rome in the second century, really up through the Council of Nicaea, it was very much about who spoke with for orthodoxy. What was the Christ story? You know, there were four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that the church settled on. And in Irenaeus' argument, it's because that the uh, criterion was the crucifixion. In the ancient world, you needed a criterion in order to judge what was true and what was false. Um, that first principle uh, that Aristotle or Plato might have. But for Irenaeus, who understood the idea of first things, the first principle, that at the heart of the Christian gospel, of the great church, of orthodoxy, was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And if you didn't have an understanding of all the scriptures through the crucifixion, the passion, death, and resurrection, which in the early church was one event. If you didn't have an understanding of the Old and the New Testament through that lens, well, then you were talking about a different gospel. That's why Gnostic gospels, like the Gospel of Thomas, which completely ignores the, cru the crucifix and the passion, these things were simply uh, not part of orthodox thinking then or today. So Irenaeus, as he looked at the crucified Jesus, he essentially saw the crucified Jesus as a mosaic of the Old Testament, of God's saving action revealed in the Old Testament. Why did he do this? Because his great theological opponent in the second century was Marcion. And Marcion is like the originator of what you hear now from the new atheists about the God of the Old Testament. If this is God, it's an evil God. And they go through all these hard stories in the Old Testament that God wants to wipe people out or he sends bears to eat kids, which is you know a story about Elisha. But that that's not how Irenaeus looked at the Old Testament, but Marcion did. Marcion wanted to get rid of the Old Testament and just understand Jesus on terms that Marcion himself would propose. So St. Irenaeus is a doctor of the church because he became the first great champion of orthodoxy. And this idea 
of Jesus as a recapitulation of the saving act of God. So in a court trial, a recapitulation is when the attorney stands up and says, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you have listened now to one month of testimony, and I believe it has established the following facts. And then he would recapitulate. He would go through who'd said what, and he'd try to paint a whole picture out of that. That's what a recapitulation is. But for Irenaeus, a recapitulation is also a restatement of what it means to be a human being. And that's why in Irenaeus and in St. Paul, Jesus is the new Adam. A recapitulation, a restatement of the creative action of God. And so how do you see this in the Old, in the Old Testament? Well, first, Jesus is the new Adam. St. Paul talks about that. And we, as we've looked at the Gospel of Mark, you've seen that Jesus is the new Moses. Uh, that was the story of the transfiguration in Mark. When Jesus is leading a new exodus, uh, Jesus teaches in Mark like Moses teaches. That's why the uh, Pharisees attack by, what authority do you teach? We have Moses, what's your authority? And before Moses was, I am, that's Jesus' response. Jesus is also the new Davidic king, the Messiah. Um, and so that uh, when he enters in Jerusalem, they wave palms, if you remember. They lay their cloaks under the hooves of the donkey because Solomon the king rode a donkey. That Jehu the king was, was greeted in Second Kings by people laying cloaks in front of, of Jehu so he could trot upon their cloaks as a sign of submission. Or palms... Uh, waved in Second Maccabees to welcome the victorious Maccabees into Jerusalem. All of this is Jesus and this mosaic um, as uh, the Davidic king. Or Elijah the prophet, he does, he does uh, what prophets do. He, he speaks not for God, he speaks as God. And then in this time in the, in the Holy Week, Jesus is presented as the new priest in the new temple. He cleanses the temple, and remember, he's gonna tear it down and rebuild it. These are things that we Catholics are familiar with, but Irenaeus is the first one that says it like this. And the way that we understand Irenaeus and how he comes forward into modern theology is that we look at all of these images of God's saving action, the creation of Adam, Moses, David, Elijah, the temple, the priesthood, all of these things. And we see them as types as the Savior. So Jesus perfectly instantiates all of these saving typologies from the Old Testament. I've just been reading a book about uh, fundamentalism in America by the great Notre Dame historian George Marsden. And if you were a Baptist, you would take all of these things and you would say, uh, this is a, the different dispensations and there is this, this history that goes through and God's preparing us for the millennial, millennium. And that's why in the rise of evangelicalism in, 
in our country, whether you as Catholics know it or not, this premillennial dispensationism, that there is this process to history and we're coming up to the time when Jesus is coming back. That's why Protestants get so concerned about, uh, we think this is the end of time, the new millennia or whatever it is. Uh, it's a misunderstanding of, of, of the Old Testament. The Old Testament gives us images of God and Jesus makes those images acutely focused, that is recapitulated uh, in the crucifixion of, G of, of his own crucifixion and resurrection. So that in Mark's gospel, when you see Jesus walk on water or Jesus calms the storm or Jesus raises that little girl from the dead or Jesus cures the leper, Jesus does all of these miracles. Well, he does kind of what you expect God to do. I mean, maybe Zeus could do that stuff. But Jesus says you cannot understand God. Remember in chapters 8, 9, and 10, unless you understand that I must be persecuted, crucified, and risen from the dead. So for Irenaeus, it's the crucifixion that focuses who God is, that God is present even in death, and suffering. God's present in every part of our life. It isn't you're in the chosen pile or the unchosen pile, the blessed pile or the unblessed pile. God finds you wherever you are. So here's what I want you to do this, this week is I talk to you about how it is that God and his saving action in the Old Testament is recapitulated in the person of Christ. But we're going to change focus a little bit in this, uh, this bit of uh, Oro Valley Catholic. And over the next few minutes, I'm going to go through and recapitulate for you how men and women are represented in the Gospel of Mark. And then we're going to pull it all together in the conclusion about Eucharistic coherence, who is Jesus, and who we're called to be. I don't think there'll be many surprises, but I think as you listen to so everything that you've heard in Mark over the last year put together in one closing argument, you might find yourself there. This has been Oro Valley Catholic. Stay tuned. So there's 16 chapters in the Gospel of Mark. The first 10 are about the three years of Jesus' ministry. The last six chapters are about the one week of Holy Week. How do men fare in that gospel? How do, they, how do they fare, I should say? Well, remember the gospel starts out, this is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. And John the Baptist came, said, make straight the way of the Lord. And what's the straight look like? Well, pay attention, because Jesus is gonna talk about it over the next 16 chapters. So John the Baptist is the forerunner. John doesn't argue with Jesus. John just pronounces that someone is coming. That's the role of John until he's beheaded um, later in the, in the gospel. But right after that, Jesus is baptized. Jesus is tempted by Satan. And then this is what unfolds with Jesus in the gospel. And right in Mark 1, he calls his disciples to follow after him. That is what he says to these men time and time again. Come after me, follow after me, pay attention, look at how I walk through life, 
And then here's what they see. They come across a man who's a demoniac in the, in the synagogue in Capernaum, and Jesus heals him. And then in the second chapter of Mark, what they find is these friends bring a crippled man to Jesus. Jesus forgives his sins and heals him. But it's not the only image of man in that story. The other is the Pharisees that attack him. By what authority do you get to forgive sins? Do you remember what Jesus says? Okay, it's easy to say he forgives sins. It's harder to say stand up and walk. So he says, so you'll know I have authority. Stand up and walk, your sins are forgiven. Does this convince the Pharisees? No, they're in love with their arguments. This is a vision of what it could mean to be a man, where you just get lost in your own little world, how you see it. And so in Mark 2, the arguments continue over whether Jesus keeps the Sabbath. Why don't his disciples fast? You know, if you, all you're going to do is look out in the world as a male or a female, and all you're going to do is focus on all the ways I don't think this is thought, maybe, possibly, you're missing who God is. So, Mark 3, chapter 3 should have the answer, right? What's Jesus do? Heals a man with a withered hand. The scribes say it's by the devil, Beelzebul, that he does this. Well, boy, it's a pretty high standard there, isn't it? If he says, by the power of God I do this, but you say it's the devil, you're in danger of blasphemy. And that's exactly what they do. And it could be their own ignorance protects it from them, but still it's not a very good image of how men work, is it? So Mark chapter five, what does Jesus do? He walks in to this graveyard and there's this crazy demoniac that is possessed by legion. And what does he do? Frees them and sends the demons into this, uh, into this herd of swine. And then he leaves and he's walking through the Decapolis. This is this pagan area. And then uh, this man comes up and he wants his daughter to be healed. You know, you look at it, the disciples want to follow Jesus, but they're, they're a little bit lost. I always like the comment that says, uh, St. Peter, he didn't say this, but he could have. He said, you know, I get some of what you're saying. A lot of it, I just don't get at all. But actually, after what you're saying, I'm not sure I even like it. This is scary because Jesus is scary. But this dad who has this little daughter who's dying comes to him and Jesus has compassion on him. What is Jesus' uh, witness to what masculinity is? Not being the smartest guy in the room, not being the best arguer. It's about being this man that's concerned about this little girl. I would say, in my estimation, the first truly sympathetic male in the Gospel of Mark is Mark chapter 5. And it's this dad, the first one that touches your heart. Um, everybody else is just constantly arguing over who they think God is. So he goes to Mark chapter 6. And what happens? Goes to the synagogue and all the men reject him. Turn the page. Herod, reject, I mean, Herod the king rejects him. And John the Baptist is beheaded. Herod thinks maybe this is John the Baptist come back because Herod is concerned about that supernatural world. Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees are arguing with Jesus over the traditions of the elders. And Jesus warns his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Quit thinking like these people. Because remember how Jesus preaches in God, Mark God, <laughs> chapter 1? Repent, that is, change how you think. 
And in all the ways that he confronts Mark in the uh, men in the Gospel of Mark, it's always a challenge for them to see and to think differently. Religion fundamentally isn't an argument. Religion, according to Saint Irenaeus, is the image of Jesus and him crucified and him as a restatement, a recapitulation of God's saving action. Follow him. So after the Pharisees get through arguing again and getting nowhere, Jesus heals a deaf man. Then you get to Mark chapter 8. The Pharisees, Jesus multiplies loaves and fishes and the wilderness feeds people and the Pharisees demand a sign. What is it that you get so lost in your arguments that you can't pay attention to what's going on around you? To listen, to see, and to think. And quit us evaluating all by our own standards. Irenaeus says the standard is God's saving action in the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Then in Mark 8, Jesus heals a blind man. And Peter confesses, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And you remember this, I know you remember this. Jesus says, well done, it's my Father in heaven that has revealed this to you. In Matthew, Jesus goes on to say, Peter, upon, your, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, but he doesn't say that in Matthew. And I, I'm persuaded by this is Peter telling this story. You know what Peter, and you think as he's putting this story together and more towards the end of his life when he's going to be executed, you know, it's like anybody who looks back on their life, you'd like to look at some of your success stories, hopefully a good marriage, happy kids, or your own efforts at least to touch other people's lives. Peter looks back on his life, and I think he does what a lot of guys do, and women too. Look at all the missed opportunities. And so when you hear this story of Mark and you see these boneheads, these disciples that are constantly arguing, fervently uh, talking about religion, um, who is present there? And how, when you get lost in all your little brain rabbit trails, um, what you're in danger of not seeing? And so Mark 9, um, that uh, Jesus uh, encounters a boy that's uh, possessed by a demon. And again, it's a dad who loves a son. Um, and he wants Jesus to say, please, if you can, heal my son. Jesus says, if I can, what is wrong with you, pal? I believe, help me in my unbelief. One of the greatest prayers in the Gospel of Mark and probably in Christianity is put into this man's action, man's mouth. So it's not just Peter looking at all the negative things that men can find about themselves, but also seeing the great love and compassion that's there too. And so what happens? Jesus' hope is immediately deflated because his disciples are complaining. They complain. They argue. They don't listen. This is what it means to be, I guess, a good disciple, or at least a disciple in the Gospel of Mark. And what are they complaining about? You remember the story. Uh, There's another guy who's exercising demons in your name. Make him stop. And Jesus says what Moses says, that everybody would combat evil, you know? Uh, nobody who does any great deed in my name uh, can think ill of me or be against me. But again, it's this sense of that we got God in our pocket. Nobody, including the Catholic Church and the Pope, has God in his pocket. 
God is God. He binds himself to the sacraments, to the scriptures, to the traditions of the church. This is St. Irenaeus. It's where we get that uh, trifecta of scripture, tradition, authority. This is what Irenaeus relies on. Why he's a doctor of the church? Because that is the fundamentals of the Catholic approach to the world. And so God binds himself to uh, the Holy Father in his ministry in the world. But God is not limited to that. And so when you think of the apostles, uh, be thankful that God is God because uh, the church is always a visible sign of God's love. People who leave the church and say, I, I can't be there in church because we have pedophile priests or whoever annoys them. I say, remember where this started last week. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Sitting in the pews with each other, tolerating that priest at mass, all of these things we do as Catholics, this is about love of neighbor. Otherwise, you end up being in these all these little churches where they're constantly sniping at everybody else. That's always been this dynamic in Catholicism that Irenaeus complained about. Mark 10, Jesus talks about marriage and divorce. The disciples say, you can't divorce women? What? Who can do this? And then a rich man comes up. And remember, he says, uh, what do I need to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus says, well, give up everything you have and come follow me. And he went away because you're defined by your arguments, you're defined by your productivity, you're defined by what you got. And then James and John turn around. And remember, uh, they want to sit on, on his right and on his left. And Jesus goes, aye, aye, aye. And then blind Bartimaeus, and this is the Messianic. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus heals him and he follows him. And now we're in the Holy Week. And we've had this recap of what men look like in the Gospel of Mark. Really a mixed bag because, gentlemen, we are a mixed bag. And so when he gets to Holy Week, he just discovers more of the same and so let's take a moment and women sisters I hope you learn something from the failures of men let's see if we can learn something from how the gospel of Mark sees women I know everybody's expecting this Peter writing a gospel and talking about women and you know, it's supposed to be, you know, the church is so patriarchal. But listen to how the Gospel of Mark characterizes women. So Mark 1, remember, Jesus casts out the demon. Then he goes and cures Simon's mother. And what does she do? She immediately gets up and takes care of him and the disciples. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The one that serves. Mark chapter 3, Jesus and his family come. Here's a little critical. Uh, Mom wants to protect him. Brothers and sisters wants to protect him. But Jesus points out, who is my mother, my, who is my mother, my brothers and the sisters? Those do the will of God and keep it. This is St. Peter telling the story. You know, you get to Luke and Mark, Matthew, you know, who keeps the word of God. And John, better than anybody, is Jesus' mom. Mark chapter 5, um, Jairus' daughter is healed. But at the same time, do you remember in that story, there was another healing story slipped in there, like a, a, a hamburger between uh, two pieces of bread? It's the woman with the hemorrhage. And she says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. 
and she does, and she is healed. Remember what Jesus says? Uh, the woman, realizing what had happened to her, approached in fear and trembling. She fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. Just open up her life to him. And he said, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be cured of your affliction. It's some of the best words that Jesus says to anybody in the gospel. Mark 6, the death of John the Baptist. Okay, here's where women come off the tracks. Herod's wife and Herod's daughter. You don't want to let your kids date Herod's daughter Salome. She's the one who is the homicidal maniac that wants John's head. So it's not that Peter gives a complete pass to women, but what he sees in them is beautiful. How about the Syrophoenician woman? The one who just knows that if she just gets after Jesus, he'll cure her. And Jesus says, you don't give the food from the table to the dogs. And remember, that woman has one of the best lines in Scripture. Peter gives them the best lines. He really likes women, I think. And her line is, Lord, even the dogs get the scraps from the table. And she's healed. And, or actually her daughter who's fighting a demon. And so when the woman went home, it says in Scripture, the demon had gone out of her daughter. Chapter 12, um, poor woman. And that's the gospel for today. And why I wanted to talk about men and women in the gospel is think about what Jesus does in this story. The first part of the story is about rich people and how the rich people just, uh, just uh, want, as he says, Long robes, greetings in the marketplace, honor in synagogues. This is the gospel today. Um, they devour the houses of widows, weak women, as a pretext recite lengthy prayers. So as they take all their property out into the street, they're praying for them. Then he sat down opposite the treasury and he observed how the crowd put money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow also came and put in two small coins worth a few cents. Calling his disciples to himself, he said to them, Amen, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the other contributors to the treasury. They have all contributed from their surplus wealth, but she from her poverty has contributed all she had, her whole livelihood. And then if you just turn the page to Mark 15, Jesus is at dinner in the house of Simon the leper. And uh, here's what it says, another woman in Holy Week. When he was in Bethany reclining at table in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of perfumed oil, costly, genuine spikenard. She broke the alabaster jar and poured it on his head. There were some who were indignant. Why has there been this waste of perfumed oil? It could have been sold for more than 300 days wages and money given to the poor. Oh boy, you just don't even go there. They were infuriated with her because she loved him. Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you make trouble for her? She's done a good thing for me. The poor you will always have with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you will not always have me. She's done what she could. She has anticipated anointing my body for burial. Amen, I say to you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed to the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And so in Holy Week, as he's kind of summing up humanity, who's he hold out? This poor sinful woman who has broken this expensive jar of perfume over him and anointed him. This poor widow woman that's given what little she has. This are the images of what it means to love God.
all your mind, your heart, your soul, your being. Jesus spends a lot of time talking to us about how to believe. He teaches, he appeals to our minds. But the example he keeps showing us is when what he teaches about love of God moves into our hearts. I'm not the first person to say this, but it's just so evident in the Gospel of Mark. And then chapter 15, Jesus is crucified. His disciples are in Nowheresville. Who are there? There are also women looking on from a distance, chapter 15, 40 to 41. Among them were Mary Magdalene, she's a sinner, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and Salome, that's Mary's uh, sister, I think, or sister-in-law, Cleopas's wife. These women followed him when he was in Galilee and ministered to him. There are also many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. You know, the thing about it is, about this crowd in the Gospel of Mark, they're definitely background noise. They don't take the front step like all these disciples arguing with all these Pharisees, Sadducees, and Herodians, right? The people who serve are these people in the background. And I apparently like to be in the background. But Jesus calls them on up to the front, the people in the low, called up to the high part of the table. Because in Mark 16, when he rises from the dead in chapter 16, verse 1 to 11, remember this. When he had risen early on the first day of the week, Sunday, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told his companions who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Boom, end point. Let's bring this to a conclusion. You know, in the American church, if you listen to the blogosphere, the loudest voices arguing are all arguing over power in the church. And it sounds like all the arguments that go on amongst the men in the Gospel of Mark. At the same time, I, we all know there's lots of people, men and women, just in the background doing the work of the church. So you see their images in the Gospel of Mark. Who do you want to be? Because if... At the end of your life, there's this recapitulation where someone is going to go through and they're going to explain your life and mine, maybe a eulogy at our funerals. Um, who's going to say, that guy, you could not win an argument with him. Um, he always knew he was right. Or he really does the voice of God. I'd believe him or I'd believe the Bible or anybody. Who's going to get that said at their funeral? So all these arguments we get upset about, where do they really go? If you have someone you want to be like, don't you want to be like that dad who loved his little daughter? That dad who loved his son who was possessed by a demon? Don't you want to be like these women who have just had this terrific faith that Jesus would help them? You know, at the end, when they talk about us, and we're at the end of the Gospel of Mark, because next week is Christ the King, when you see yourself how do you look at yourself through the lens of Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection? I know we all have hope in that. I sure do. I hope you do also. But what you see is someone who is a recapitulation of everything that is best in these people and a rejection of everything that is worst. So if you listen to St. Thomas Aquinas, love what Jesus loves, despise what Jesus despises. 
Why in the end is the crucifixion of Jesus the final authoritative argument about the nature of God? It's because in the end, the only real convincing witness is love. Loving God with all your heart, your soul, your being, your strength, loving your neighbor as yourself. It's better than any argument. You want Eucharistic coherence? You want to make the gospel look believable? Well, go to town on the people of Gospel of Mark. Figure out who you want to be. Then as Jesus says, go and do likewise. This has been another edition of Oro Valley Catholic. Um, preaching to myself as I preach to you. Lots for us all to learn. God bless you. Remember me in your prayers. I'll remember you.